This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 82. Today is January 4th, 2019, first episode of 2019. And as I'm sure you could tell immediately, I am not in my little home studio in Florida. I am at the Autobahn North Sweet Home Road in Amherst, and I have company. I am joined today by Buffalo Bills beat reporter Matt Perino. What's going on, Matt? How you doing, buddy? I'm great, man. This is awesome to get with you in person. We 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 talked over the phone a few months ago. It's it's nice, and and you had me out to a very nice place, so I'm excited. Well, listen, we're going to talk about your first season covering the Bills, and we're going to talk about the Bills in a few minutes, but I'd be remiss if I didn't have you confirm something, all right? I have sung the praises of Audubon North. I feel like it's one of the most underrated places in Western New York for wings of anywhere. I mean, there's a bunch of good places, and I've been to most of them, but I had to have you here, and I need you to officially, on the record, confirm this so that I'm not crazy. Matt? Dude, tell me, those wings were the bomb, weren't they? They were freaking they were, good. They were unreal to the point where I almost fought off you and your wife at the end for the last <laughs> one. <laughs> they were that good. They really, listen, they really are. Quick story about Audubon North, and then we're going to get into the podcast. I told you that I really liked this place, but I also, and we had a conversation before we started taping here, that I kind of found this place by accident. It was actually not my first, second, or even third choice. Over the summer... You know, when I was back home and I was doing all these chicken wing reviews, I intentionally, or initially I should say, I went to Dwyer's in North Tonawanda with my buddy Ryan. And that was the place that I was going to go to. And we got there and they literally had no chicken wings. They were out of chicken wings. It was a Sunday night. I remember this very well. No chicken wings. So I asked the waitress, I said, well, can you recommend a place? And she said this small place called Climax, which is basically around the corner from there. Now, I also noticed that Crazy Jake's was right down the street. And I figured that, you know, she didn't want the comp- us going to the competition, so she didn't say Crazy Jake's. So we did go to Crazy Jake's. We go there, don't get wings because the person was serving. I don't know why. Maybe they don't like the way we looked or something. But they walked past us like four or five times, never asked us what we wanted. So that's two down. We leave Crazy Jake's. We go to this Climax place that the waitress initially um, recommended. Well, the place was closed. So now we're 0 for 3. And I remember on Twitter, I wish I could give somebody credit, but I honestly, I don't remember who the name was. 
Someone said Audubon North in Amherst. And I was like, eh. I was going to say, because how did you make it from Crazy Jake's to Audubon exactly. North? That would have been crazy. We were desperate. And I'll tell you, I was doing all my wing reviews in the South Towns in the city. And people were starting to complain about that, saying, well, you got to start coming to the North Towns. So again, I go to North Town and Wanda. I, I, that's a good question that I can't give you an answer to. I think I was frustrated after going 0 for 3. And again, I remembered someone on Twitter saying this place. So we came in there and honestly, I was kind of annoyed because we had already been to three places, was not expecting much at all. And lo and behold, we got here and I got the fact, I made sure that we had the same wings tonight so that, again, I, just wanted, I needed to know that it wasn't a fluke and I wanted someone else's opinion on it, but I got, what did we get? We got the hot Cajun, double dipped on the grill. And then 10 hot wings. And they also brought out a couple chicken fingers. Which chicken was. fingers were unreal. <laughs> I'm a chicken finger connoisseur, as is my wife. Those, those may be the best chicken fingers I've ever had. Yeah, man. I, I, listen, I don't disagree with you. And I'm very wary. We talked about this, too. I'm very wary of recommending a place because, I don't know, I just feel like food is so subjective. And I don't want people being pissed off at me if I send them somewhere and their food sucks. And I don't like putting a place on blast either for the same reason. Maybe I don't like it, but you do. So I'm very, you know, I might have power rankings, but I'm not sure how I feel about recommending this place. But I'll tell you, and I think you can attest to this now that you've been there. You can't go wrong here. Everyone talks, you know, the big boys in Western New York, Barbell and Gabriel's Gate and Elmo's and, you know, even 911 Tavern. Those are places that everyone knows about. But I'm starting to find each time I come home, a place or two that's really a, a hidden gem. And that's what I kind of consider this place, a hidden gem. Did you agree? I'm pretty pissed off, actually, because I went to Winsville North High School, which is just about five minutes up the road here, and I never known about this place before tonight. And so I, within the month, me and my wife will be back. <laughs> Good stuff, man. First time I had you on this show was in the summer. You literally were just starting your new job covering the Buffalo Bills, New York Upstate. Now you're one season in, the season's over. Let me ask you this. What was it like covering the Buffalo Bills this year? It was uh, it was an up and down uh, situation. First of all, you know, I didn't really take it all in at the start, but it was amazing to come on when I came on because it was like this roller coaster. You know, at Darien Lake when you're going up to Superman sure. and you're about to go flying down that first drop? That was when I talked to you. I mean, I didn't even really know what I was in for. And... Um, it's it's been a you know every every day whether it be going to the stadium or on the road or covering the game, learning something new and I, I've been pretty like blessed in the sense that you know the the Buffalo media community, sports media community, especially with the Bills, um, is a really nice group of people that have really like you know I could tell you five or ten people right off the top that have really helped me you know kind of assimilate back you know into the buffalo community but also covering an nfl team i mean i was i was i was covering the ufc you know global sport but to be a beat writer for an nfl team is a unique experience that i think nothing you could do in your journalism life can prepare you for it those relationships that you made with some of the local media not every market might treat the new guy you know great your first season I, from everything I've heard and, and talking with you, like you said, the, the media was great. How important is it to have that bond with some of the guys? I mean, on one hand, they're your competition, at least to some extent, maybe not direct competition, but in some ways you're a competition, but they're also your colleagues. And I'm sure in many cases, they become your friends as well. For sure. And, you know, there's this collective media 
you know, that cover the team. So in that, there's a sense of unity, I think, um, amongst the beat writers and the beat reporters, whether it be through the TV, to TV guys, gals, or, you know, the, the newspaper, traditional newspaper.com people. And I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was at training camp. Kind of like, you know, seeing stars in the first couple of days, like sure. trying to, you know, I just moved my family back here. We're, we're staying with my in-laws and it's just, it's craziness, hecticness. And I'm out at training camp trying to, you know, really hit the ground running and, you know, not to call him out or put him on the spot, but Joe Biscalia came up to me, you know, on the sideline one day at practice and kind of gave me the, the rundown and like, you know, if there's anything I need, like let him know. And, you know, that's happened across the board. I can't tell you how helpful Matthew Fairburn has been. Um, the gentleman that I took over for, um, you know, not, not everybody would be like that, you know, you, you know, come in here. I mean, we're both beat reporters, you know, on the scene here and, you know, he's done it for, for four years and to kind of welcome in someone new, you know, I, I feel really privileged to be a part of this group. Now, how different was it for you? How big of an adjustment was for you covering an NFL team? You kind of got thrown right into the fire. Is that like you had a lot of time to, you know, come back to Buffalo because you are from the area and get settled in and relax and ease your way into covering the team? I mean, you're back and what, a week or two later, you're in training camp? Exactly. I mean, I went from uh, UFC 226 to St. John Fisher in a very, very short amount <laughs> of time. And, yeah. you know... Being growing up a Bills fan and, and kind of keeping tabs on the team while in, in Vegas, um, you, I knew the you know the general construct of the organization and you know the, a basic understanding of the players. But you know I hadn't realized how far I drifted. I mean, when I was at the Tonawanda News four years ago, I was covering a lot of the high school teams, but I was also you know covering the Bills and the Sabers to a to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. And those four years and diving into the UFC world full tilt. I mean. I hadn't realized how far away I drifted. So it was an immediate, like, just think back to your college days, like, you know, cramming for a test. I mean, that's what I really was doing. I was cramming hard at the beginning. And luckily, you know, I've done this for a long time. And, you know, journalism, a lot of times is more about your ability to talk to people and to, you know, interview people. I mean, that's how you're going to get the best information. And, you know, I relied on those skills that I've, that I've developed over the years. And, I like to say I've I had a good rookie season, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. I feel like I've these last two months, I would say halfway through November and then definitely into December, I felt like everything was clicking on all cylinders finally, and I finally feel like I'm so excited. I want 2019 to get here already because I'm so ready to go through yeah. the whole run again. Now feeling completely comfortable and ready. What were road trips like for you? They were great. They were great. Uh, I had a couple. Uh, What's a typical road trip like? And I'm not going to ask you to spill the secret of the pros. I don't need to know every little intimate detail. But typically, when you go on a road trip to cover a game, what, what's that like? It, so, I mean, for me this year, it's, it'd probably be a little bit different than a lot of the other guys just because, you know, I'm still, there's so much preparation go, on my end, mm-hmm. you know, you know, studying, researching and getting ready and, and putting out content, stuff like that. But once you get there, I mean, we usually get there Saturday, uh, you know, that's a day to kind of relax. And uh, I tend to, you know, uh, hang out with a couple of gentlemen. I've been friends with Tim Graham for a while. So we got, I had a couple road trips where hanging out with him and Matt Fairburn and, uh, you know, just exchanging stories and having a good time and, um, getting ready for the game. I mean, 
literally like that that sunday experience is unlike anything i mean i i, I used to love fight day you know that was that mm-hmm. was a thing you know but covering an nfl game is unique because it is an all-day experience i mean you get to the stadium at 9 a.m and then you go till sometimes 9 or 10 at night and it's unique because i used to be a huge fantasy football guy and red zone channel and sunday sure. was for the nfl now, Sunday is for the Bills. I mean, I really, it's hard to pay attention to much else that's going on as a beat reporter because you're so invested in everything that's going on with this team and post game in the locker room and then churning out all the stories and the content. So, um, it's a fun time. It's, it's intense. It's a lot, but it's fun time. Any one or two trips in particular that you really enjoyed this year? Again, you know, this might be old news if I'm talking to you five years from now. You've been a lot of these stadiums you'll have been to a handful of times. But again, your first season covering an NFL team on the road. Were there one or two places that you really enjoyed going to, maybe a little more than the others? I think the number one spot for me this season was probably um, Green Bay, just in the sense of such a historic stadium and you felt it from when you were driving through the parking lots till the moment you walked up to the stadium, you felt the history there. You know, it's like, I remember when the UFC went to Madison Square Garden for the first time and we got in there and so many classic fights have happened in there. It's the same thing there. Like all these unbelievable games, all these unbelievable players, the home of Brett Favre, Bart Starr, all this stuff, Aaron Rodgers now is, is just like a, a special, place and you feel it and i think for in a sense i mean probably people don't feel it outside of buffalo but it's the same kind of feeling you get when you go to you know new New era field now used to be rich stadium there's so much history there you know what i mean and any place like you go to the new minnesota viking stadium that was super cool because it was such a unique environment it was loud it was open air press box so that was really fun but the history isn't necessarily there right. like it is at um in green bay at lambo so i'll i'll say that is was the pinnacle trip for me this year i'm with matt perino and we are taping from the autobahn north and amherst let's turn our attention to the buffalo bills okay they go six and ten this season coming into it is that about roughly around what you expected when you started covering this team in training camp yep i think uh my preseason uh prediction was six and ten so yeah. i'll give myself a pat on the back for that i don't know how much of that was my my astute knowledge and my uh, (laughs) prediction abilities. But, you know, what I think going into this season is I think what we've seen in two years now of Sean McDermott, we saw it last year and it, and it, and it bled over into this year is he gets the most out of the talent that he has available to him and he gets guys up to play for him. And now what we're really starting to see at the end of year two is the talent evaluation and the ability to develop players is happening at a very high level within this organization at this point. We were talking about it b- before we started. Matt Milano, Taron Johnson, Levi Wallace, Robert Foster. I mean, guys that were pl- were plucked from either late-round draft picks or undrafted free agents. I mean, there is something going on here. You're seeing it. They put their faith in Josh Allen, and we've seen the ups and downs of Josh Allen this year. And I think that Going into the season, I think this was the expectation. Five and six, start record as a starter, up and down, some games where you look good, some games where you look bad. Um, but I think overall, if you, if you go through, I think the, the thing that I didn't expect was the, was the drop off that we've seen in LaShawn McCoy. I thought yeah. you might see a, a minor drop off, but man, you go back and look at some of these games and just, I know the offensive line has been bad and that's something we could talk about as well, but I think that you've seen, a significant decline in LaShawn McCoy in 2018. Now, I know that Brandon Bean has said he's going to be back. Do you think 
listen, what they say in January or December isn't always what it, you know. They, were, they said that they, Tyrod Taylor was going to be back, exactly. Right? So you know what they say right now may not be what they're saying a couple weeks or a couple months from now. You had as good of a view as anybody watching LeSean McCoy this year. Do you think the drop off was significant to the point where when you factor in his cap number for next year? I believe the Bills would save around $6.2 million if they were to cut him. And they certainly, if they do cut him, it wouldn't need to be for financial considerations. It would be a football move, I think, at this point. Because do you think there's a chance that maybe they do move on from him? So I think Brandon Bean gave us a great indication if you, if you picked it up in his last press conference. He said, if there was salary cap constraints... It may be more of a situation where players that were maybe dropping off from production and it would save you some kind of money. It would make sense mm-hmm. to move on. But with all the salary cap room and him on and LaShawn McCoy being on the final year of his contract and there being this unwavering kind of support system and confidence in LaShawn McCoy. I mean, listen, if they stuck with him through that whole offseason incident last summer and they were they did their due diligence and they believed in him. They made him Sean McDermott made him the team captain. Obviously the players voted, but McDermott placed that C on his jersey. They believe in this guy. And and they they don't think that the production there must be something that they're seeing in practice. Um maybe, you know, they have plans for him to get him more involved in the passing game. I think I saw I heard a stat today on a podcast where he only had 32 receptions this year, one of the worst years receiving of his career. And with Brian Dable and his creativity, that's something we talked about in the preseason. You got to get a guy like LaShawn McCoy involved in the passing game much more. Maybe that's something that they think, okay, we bolster the offensive line. We put a couple more weapons around Josh Allen, maybe get him a tight end. And all of a sudden you see LaShawn McCoy, even at 31 years old, start to pick it up a little bit. How much work does this offensive line mean? I mean, I know that's a very general question, but there's five starters. How many of them are back next year? Deion Dawkins is obviously going to be one of them. Right. And you never know where he's going to end up. They, right. might, they, they might move him back over to the right side if they can go out and get a, a, a star left tackle like Jonah Williams. Although I've, I've been reading some stuff on Jonah Williams and some people are wondering how if it might not make more sense to move him inside, um, even though he's the top left tackle prospect in the draft. So there's a lot to be said there. But I think the first and foremost, the number one priority is getting a center. A good center. And I don't know if that's going to come in the draft. I know that Matt Paradis from um, uh, Denver is, a, is like the top guy out there. But you need to upgrade at that position. I mean, I think you took for granted a little bit the stability that Eric Wood brought to this offensive line. And sure. Richie Incognito was Pro Bowl-level talent. And sure. He was a big reason this running game was so good. But I think Eric Wood was a rock of this offensive line for six, seven seasons. And when you lost that, you saw the drop-off with Bodine. You knew that going in. I mean, I think that that was just a warm body. Right. And then, you know, you look on the right side that really struggled this year. I think I think Jordan Mills and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Miller are a little bit better than the way that they get knocked. That's I what I was that's what I was trying to get at. Like everyone knows this listen, this offensive line, if you're a fan of it, they struggled. And if you're a critic of it, they sucked. You know, there's it's just the way it is. They weren't good this year. How much of it was overblown though? Or is any of it overblown? And I am mean, talking more specifically about the right side. Jordan Mills and John Miller are both going to be free agents, by the way, on the right side. Are they do you think they're both gone? Or do you I, think it's feasible that at least maybe one of those two could be back? I don't think they're both gone. And I but at the same time, I'm not sure that if they're brought back, they're brought back in a starting capacity. Right, okay. You know, they might just be, they just, the evaluation might have been that they're good enough to be, you know, um, 
depth guys. You know, mm-hmm. bring them in off the bench. Uh, if a guy goes down, they have starting experience in this league. But then that depends on are you able to bring in the, the right guys in free agency in the draft. They hit, it seems, on Wyatt Teller. And even to a lesser degree, Ike Bucker, who got some, you know, reps late in the season. I don't know if there was enough there to say, okay, we have a starting caliber, you know, offensive guard in this league. But guys that, you know, are now in your program as rookies this year that had good moments. So you, 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 you figure you got three guys there. If you can go out and sign one or two guys. But like I said, I really think the most important thing here, you have to get a center because, you know, I, I think it was, I went back and watched the ball. I'm going back and watch the whole, season mm-hmm. uh, on, on film just because when you're covering the team it's a little bit it's a little bit uh, hectic you're watching them live it's nice to go back and watch them all sure. again and you know I just watched the Baltimore Ravens game and poor Nathan Peterman Ryan Groy never gave him a chance because I mean listen I, I'm not sitting here saying that Peterman could have been something I'm not saying that right right what right. I'm saying is the, the offensive line play up the middle was so bad in that game and so bad consistently throughout the season, no matter who was in there, you have to have to upgrade that to keep, you know, your franchise quarterback, you know, at least give him a chance. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting or asking you, you know, to be a Nate Peterman apologist, but you brought up a good point. I mean, listen, when he was in there, yeah, he didn't play well, but you know what? He didn't get any help either. The offensive line did him no favors. Receivers, because Kelvin Benjamin had a much bigger role in the team at the time anyway, no, they weren't getting open. It's not like the guy had weapons to throw to or a line to protect him. I almost felt sorry for him in a way. I I personally didn't think he was ever going to be a you know a good franchise quarterback, and he was always going to keep his seat warm for Josh Allen no matter what. But I feel like he almost got an, uh, it's it's tough to say an unfair shake because he did start the season, right? But he just I mean he 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 brought a knife to a gunfight. I feel like he never was going to win with the situation that he was in. He was in a lose lose. Kind of situation. You know what I mean? That's how I felt about him. And I think that that should goes to show, you know, you, you, we might talk about this in a bit, but the national narrative surrounding Josh Allen, if you take what Nathan Peterman did with this supporting cast compared to what Josh Allen's been able to do with it, mm-hmm. I think that speaks to, you know, the success of Josh Allen's rookie year. Now, with Nathan Peterman, he had his moments. I mean, you go back yep. to that Houston game, getting brought in the game cold, throwing that touchdown pass to Zay Jones. Jones. Yep. That was a really nice touchdown pass. He had his moments. The problem with Nathan Peterman is he wasn't ready to be an NFL quarterback. You know what I mean? Right. He was a fifth-round pick. You know, he got thrown to the Wolves last season, and who knows if he ever really mentally recovered. You go back and watch some of these games, some of these moments from this season, and you look at the – he has this, like, look on his face, like a, a deer-in-the-headlights look at, mm-hmm. at times. And you, you kind of think to yourself, and I know it's been talked about a great deal on the local scene is – you know, maybe Sean McDermott shouldn't have put him in that situation. I mean, he's a great practice player. He brings all the intangibles. He's a hard worker. He studies. He does the work. I mean, we're from Buffalo. You remember Billy Joe Holbert? Sure. Didn't even look at his playbook no. before he got thrown in there, you know? Yeah. So there's guys that don't do do that end of it. You know what I mean? So I think, um, you know, with Nathan Peterman, but like you said, he did not have much to work with. I don't. I don't think I remembered in the moment as the season was going on how bad Calvin Benjamin was. Because on, on a on a personal level, I kind of felt sorry for the guy. Like I'll be honest with you, I'm, I love the Bills Mafia and everything. I've hated, hated, and this might not be a great take. I know I don't like to talk about Donald Trump or anything like that, but I did not like the fat shaming and all of these like memes and this stuff that directed at Calvin Benjamin. Because let's be honest, he wasn't playing well. 
But right. I don't think at any point he deserved to be, you know, called, uh, you know, you know, what is it? Have another cheeseburger mm-hmm. or whatever, all this other he stuff. He was a biscuit away from being a tight end. Exactly. I heard that all like, the time. trust me, I was in the locker room every day. Like, were there work ethic concerns? Maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but I did talk to people within the organization that told me that he did come in eight pounds lighter than he was the year before, coming off a very significant injury that he played through, he chose to play through. And I think that his character was kind of dragged, drugged through the mud a little bit. And I don't necessarily think that it was for lack of effort. Listen, the guy wasn't catching balls. I'll be the first one to say right. he played bad. But I just did not like, you know, all that kind of extracurricular stuff, especially in a time when, as a society, we're talking about, and I'm not trying to make any great stand or something. No, political go thing, ahead. Speak but in, your mind, but man. in this, in this society right now, we're talking about our kids. I have a four year old and a, and a one year old, and we're talking about bullying in schools and how yeah. we got to get that out of our schools. And we're going to sit here on social media and fat shame some guy because he's dropping passes in a football game. Come on, let's be better than that. What was your take on Kelvin Benjamin as a person? Forget football. By the time he was released, I had developed quite the respect for Calvin Benjamin. And I say that because not ev- and it's the same thing I have for Nathan Peterman. Every time that guy went out there and had a bad game, he answered for it. He went and stood in front of the cameras, he answered all the questions, and to Calvin Benjamin's credit, some days he didn't want to talk. But at least every week, he said, if I wasn't talking on Wednesday, I'll talk to you tomorrow on Thursday. He had to talk once a week. Mm -hmm. And after all the bad games and the drops and everything, all throughout the season, he still showed up at his locker and he still answered questions. So he was pretty accountable. He was accountable. And I remember after the one game, I can't remember the, the particular opponent, but it was on the road and we went in the locker room and he had had a bad game and he dropped a touchdown pass and it was a bad drop. And we asked him about, you know, what's going wrong here? This offense isn't clicking. You're the number one guy. And you could see the emotion. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. Tears kind of filling his eyes a little bit. And then you realize, like, listen, this is a game, and we're all very passionate about the game that we cover or the game that we're invested in, the the team that we root for. But these are people. I mean, have you ever had a bad day at work? Have you ever had a bad stretch at work? Sure. You know, where you're just just not clicking. You're not getting wrong. Your boss is, you know, shitting on you. You're, you know, anything's going wrong. I mean, I feel like that was this kind of season for Calvin Benjamin. And it's a guy who's gone through a ton of injuries, had a lot of success early on. And for whatever reason, over the course of time, it's been tough to bounce back and bounce back. And I, I don't know. I'm not an athlete. I never was. I don't know what it does, what it takes mentally to continuously come back from the severe, the, the injuries with the severity that he's had over the course of his career. So, you know, I enjoyed covering Kelvin Benjamin. I enjoyed interviewing him. And, you know, for whatever reason, it still doesn't seem like it's clicking. Even in Kansas City, he had a drop on Monday yeah. Night Football. And, um, you know, as a, someone that looks for good stories as a journalist, He's the kind of guy that I thought, you know, got a, didn't get a fair shake, but guess what? Life isn't fair either. And you, you, when you, at the same token, you play this game, you know, LaShawn McCoy is a perfect example. Guy that, you know, didn't want to talk for two weeks to Mm -hmm. the media because he was going through a tough patch. Well, you played, you, you chose to play the sport in a country that's more rabid about its sport than Didn't you kind of walk right else. into that? Didn't you kind of walk right into that right, right into when you first were starting your job with camp? Well, yes, but I'm, I was more talking about halfway through the season when oh, he okay. basically yeah. shut it down. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I did walk right into that and that was a little bit different. I'm pretty sure he probably had lawyers telling him, oh, yeah. let's, let's, let's shut this yeah, down. Shut like down, we're man. not talking. But I'm talking about when it wasn't going well on the field. Okay. You're the team captain. Yeah. And you're going out of your way to avoid the media. 
I just thought that that was, I thought if you're a team captain, you wear that on your sleeve. If you're, and you know, as Sean McDermott talks about accountability, you step to the podium once a week and you'd be accountable. Sure. And I just didn't get that sense. I got that sense more from Kelvin Benjamin, who everybody like ha- took such umbrage with, as opposed to LaShawn McCoy, who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, an iconic guy around here. Sure. But at the same time, I will say, I have noticed a, t- a, a bit of a shift in that mentality when it comes to the Bills Mafia. I think there's a lot more people ready to move on from LaShawn McCoy yeah, than there w- was in July. Absolutely. Definitely. Let me ask you this, and I'm sure you can make a case for either position, but going into the offseason, I think it's pretty well established that offensive line and wide receiver are the two biggest needs. Which one do you think is the biggest need? I think I think offensive line is the biggest need just because of the um, emergence of Robert Foster and the progression and development of Zay Jones. Mm-hmm. Listen, Zay's never going to be a one. He's never going to be a guy that's going to get a ton of separation and, and be a, a game changer. But I think if... You know, you're talking about a guy in his second year now. As we move forward, he's just going to get more and more comfortable. I mean, just think about this with Zay Jones. He had 600 some odd yards, uh, six six touchdowns, I think, on the season. Yeah, I think he had seven. Yeah, seven touchdowns yeah. on the season. And this is a guy coming off of his own crazy offseason incident. I mean, he was thrown into it. I remember back in training camp where he was it was uh he was MIA. He wasn't allowed to talk to the media. They they didn't want to get him out in front talking about this until he was back. He was rehabbing the knee injury. And then all of a sudden, Baltimore week hits. You know, he's back, he's playing. And you look back at this, and this was a productive season for him. If you would have told me at the beginning of this year, seven touchdowns for Zay Jones, I tell you, I'll take it. Antonio Brown, he's a, I got to bring him up, okay? Potentially he's on the trade market. We don't know that for sure, but Adam Schefter's reporting that the Steelers could be open to trading him. I put up on a Twitter poll yesterday, I think it was, asking if the Bills would be wise to trade the ninth overall pick, a first-round pick, essentially, for Antonio Brown. Over 800 people ended up voting, and it was 62 to 38 in favor of no. So pretty much close to 2 to 1 in favor of no. What's your take on that? If right now... If you're Brandon Bean and the Steelers called you and said, give me that ninth pick and I'll give you Antonio Brown, would you do it? Yes or no? I would say no, just just because of the sense of A, the salary you're taking back and B, where he's at in his career. And, you know, he's played in the same offense. I don't think so, I don't think people make enough of this in the NFL. The NFL is a very, you know, you got 11 guys out there with you. Sure. It's a very system, team-oriented sport. So you take Antonio Brown out of that, situation and how productive is is he able to put up the same numbers with a rookie quarterback i mean he played with ben roethlisberger his whole career that offense you know um that style of play now there's similarities between josh allen and ben roethlisberger but i don't know if the accuracy is the same i think roethlisberger is probably more of an accurate quarterback and he's been in the league see more i would not give up that just that pick just because of you know the potential value that you're giving up in terms of the future and i think that brandon bean sean mcdermott have gone all in on the future of this franchise i don't think they're willing to kind of you know pay the price tag on an antonio brown at 31 years old i or how old is he actually yeah, he'll be 31 when the season starts so there so there you yeah. go and I, I think it would be kind of we're talking about LaShawn McCoy and and there hasn't been much of a drop off with Antonio Brown this year but look at the offense he's playing with he's playing with the Hall of Fame quarterback albeit Roethlisberger is definitely on the decline he's had a couple of bad games but he also has a Juju. pro bowl caliber yeah. receiver playing yeah. alongside him that I don't think he would have here so 
you know, I think I think Antonio Brown has done an, as much for Juju as Juju has done for Antonio Brown, but it's going both ways, you know, and I don't think there's any Juju here. I think that the Bills definitely are going to have to get an upgrade at receiver, and I think it's going to be a veteran too, because Foster and Zay Jones are young. I agree with you, by the way, about Antonio Brown. 31 years old. He's, I think he's still got like three years left, 15 million. It's just not the kind of cap deal that Brandon Bean's looking to make, I think, at this age of his career. Not to mention, hey, clearly he's got some issues in this locker room. I mean, if you can't get along with the, these guys or they're as good as they are, that kind of scares me about if he would come to Buffalo. But, but see, a lot of people are saying that, like, Antonio Brown's not a process guy. I think from if LaShawn McCoy was LaShawn McCoy somewhere else, would he be a process guy? He's a That's pretty a big point. prima donna. And, you know, what I think Sean McDermott does is he gets guys to buy in. So if there was trade talks and there was, I think that there would have to be some type of understanding that you're coming here to, you know, to, to enter the process. Side note, you take back, you go back and look at Brandon Bean's track record in Carolina. Obviously they had Steve Smith there, but I don't see them you know, breaking the bank for, you know, a $22 million a year cap hit wide receiver. I just don't see, I just don't think that that's in his makeup. What know? about a guy like AJ Green? He's got one more year left, 15 million. He's 30 years old. A lot, of injury, like a, guy, a lot of injury problems, big know. risk. And you're probably, even if it's only one more year, I, I think Cincinnati is about to become a, a big time rebuilding team. So I could see them trying to deal them. But I, again, are you going, I mean, the first round pick would be off the table, but even a second round, I'm not sure that he'd even be worth a second round pick one year at 15 million. And then you got to worry about resigning him if he still has it. And I think you got to worry too about, you know, recent history. I mean, you give up third round pick for Calvin Benjamin. Yeah. That was an epic failure. Sure. So now every move that you make is going to be scrutinized even more heavily, especially when it comes to like the wide receiver position. So I think they would be more, hey, they hit on Robert Foster. That's a nice find. They actually. The, how Isaiah much did that surprise you? You've been around the team all year. I so was you were there from start to finish. How much did that surprise you to see what Robert Foster went out to do as the season? Jaw, he got cut. jaw hit the floor yeah. when he when that touchdown pass when when Josh Allen got blown up and then he found uh, Robert Foster for that big touchdown pass. Sure, I was in shock. Was that the Jacksonville game? Yes, yes. So. Not only was Josh Allen coming back from the injury and still question marks, obviously there were some bad games, but Robert Foster had done nothing to that point. And in training camp, I, speaking of Joe Biscaglia from earlier, I remember several conversations with us in training camp kind of looking at each other and being like, man, there are some serious mechanical issues with Robert Foster. It's understandable why he didn't have success at Ar or at Alabama because you know, the guy really struggles to catch the ball. He, every time he would go, I, I feel like a ball would come in. He would try to use his, his chest to catch the ball. He was double clutching. And listen, I'm not, I'm no scout or coach or anything like that, but just as a guy that's watched football my whole life, it just didn't seem like, you know, that was the way to go about it when you're talking about elite wide receivers. So when this happened, I mean, I think everybody was shocked to, to a degree, but you know what? Give credit to Sean and, and Brandon. They, these guys had unwavering belief in this guy. They cut him. They, they let him go down to the practice squad. They, they gave him the wake-up call that they needed. They must have known that he had the mental makeup to go through that because, um, you know, they, they hit on him. They also hit on Isaiah McKenzie. This is a guy that, you know, didn't have gaudy, gaudy numbers by any stretch, and he had the injury at the end of the season. But um, this is a guy that they had tabbed, they were interested in earlier, tried to pluck him off the practice squad, and then uh, Denver signed him. And then when he came back around again, they brought him on, and he's paid great dividends, and he's a guy that could potentially, you know, 
factor into this offense going forward and also in the run game. And I think that's a, a huge find. I feel like the biggest bright spot for me this season when it comes to the Bills, and I'm not even including Josh Allen, and, and you hit on some of the names. It's just a contribution from all these rookies. I mean, obviously you got Tremaine Edmonds who, who finished strong. I thought he struggled for it a lot of the year. I'll get your take on that in a minute too. But you mentioned Teron Johnson. I mean, he got injured. I thought he was excellent. Harrison Phillips, at, at worst case, looks like a pretty good role player to me. Foster, we talked about. Wyatt Teller, he potentially might be the starting left guard next year. Worst case, he's probably going to be death. I mean, for a fifth round, I think he's a fifth round guy. That's a pretty good find. And then Levi Wallace. I mean, we talk about Robert Foster coming out of nowhere. I remember, I think he got promoted from the practice squad at some point. Like, who the hell is this guy? And he didn't do really much in training camp that right. I remember. I mean, is he I'm another? A, one? I was going to ask you that. He didn't stand out. He to didn't you, did stand he? out a ton. I remember talking to Tre'Davious White, and he's and he had a very interesting quote. And I and I and I screen grabbed it and shared it when Levi had his first start, and all the Alabama uh, fans started retweeting and going crazy because they're you know they're a rabid bunch, but. You know, he said what what he liked about Levi Wallace is he's a no-nonsense guy. He shows up. He works hard. And in practice, he was shutting guys down. Now, at the time, I was kind of thinking, well, this isn't the greatest group of wide receivers he's going up against. Shutting down Ray Ray McLeod's a lot different. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But what he's shown over the course of the season, and listen, from all I've been able to ascertain, pro football focus from time to time, you know, Maybe over, you know, they might not be the best source when it comes to this stuff. Sometimes they miss, but you know, it seems like the coaching staff is very happy with Levi Wallace. And listen, what else did you have there? You had the quitter, Vontae Davis, who walked away at halftime, who, you know, was, was bad when he played. And, and I, and I made a big, this was one of my big stands early on in training camp. I said in preseason, Vontae Davis did not look right. He did not look yeah. right. I think that this was going through his mind over the course of preseason. I'm not right. And then he got thrown out there that second game after being inactive the first week, and it was just bad. And then Phillip Games was a nightmare. And he was just a, a bad fit, a guy that didn't really – he's not a zone guy. He's more of a man guy and not a great man guy at that. So, I honestly forgot about him until you just said him. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, now you know that, you know, at worst-case scenario, Levi Wallace is a, a good depth guy that you can bring back – Give you some stability at the position, and if if he doesn't maybe win the job in preseason, at least you know he's a, he's a he's a backup option. You know he's a, he could bring him out of the bullpen if necessary. Uh, Taron Johnson, love his mentality, love his work ethic. Who we asked him, he's I asked physical. him, he's a oh, physical guy, and, but it worries you a little bit, right? Because yeah. yeah, I went like I told you, I watched this Baltimore game, and he. He got hurt on that on, in that first game because of the physical style. He put his head down, great shoulder tackle, great technique, but he blew up his shoulder in the first game and then played the majority of the season with that injury. He was on the injury report every week. And Sal uh, Capaccio asked him this week, and I have asked him this as well. Are you a little bit worried about you know your style of play and you know because you are aggressive, you do try to blow things up, but. You're going to put yourself in, you know, sure. in, in peril every week. And he said, no, it's just a mindset. He's like, every day, every game before on Sunday, before every game, before every play, I say in my mind, F it, let's go. <laughs> and he's just a guy that goes in there and puts his body on the line. He said, he said something interesting. He said, 
I got to get myself healthy, but after that, I want to put on some muscle, get a little bit bigger, and maybe better prepare myself for the physicality of the NFL game. He's a rookie, but I think the mentality and the um, production that you're getting out of him, first-year nickel, which for, by all accounts from everybody I've talked to, that's a real tough position. He played on the outside in college, so they moved him in the inside. He learned a whole new position and flourished all season long, so you have to be thrilled with that. And we didn't even talk about... You know, Matt Milano, who's a second-year guy, fifth-round pick. He's been developed by Sean McDermott. What a find. I feel like, actually, maybe he still is. I feel like if he doesn't get hurt, he's easily the team MVP this year. Matt Milano, I'm talking about, in my opinion. For sure. And I think that he allowed, you brought up Tremaine Edmonds. I think his play allowed not only, you know, Lorenzo Alexander to have the year that he did. Now, I'm not downplaying or taking anything away from Lorenzo, but I think playing with a guy that was playing at the level of Milano helped uh, Lorenzo and it helped Tremaine Edmonds. As Tremaine Edmonds was trying to kind of get things figured out over the course of the season, it didn't matter as much if he was missing a play here or there because Milano was just blowing things up and he was, he was a factor in coverage. He was a factor in the run game and at times he was a factor in, in, in the, uh, rushing the quarterback. So, you know, I think that they, they've done a really good job developing some of these younger guys and you can't, again, I don't want to sit here and just act like I'm having this love fest for Sean McDermott and Brandon <laughs> Bean, but Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, guys, they go out and they, and they tab these guys that could help this defense and free agency. What finds? I mean, they're they're arguably one of the top uh, safety duos sure. in the NFL. No question about it, dude. I could still feel that delicious taste of hot Cajun in my mouth right now, man. Dude, what time does the kitchen close? Because I was thinking about grabbing a ten spot on the way out. All right, so listen, we went long enough without really zeroing in on Josh Allen, but it's that time. I feel like he had one of the more polarizing rookie seasons of anyone I've ever seen. I mean, there's no in-between with this guy. You either love him or you hate him. And I, that has a lot to do with local and national media. But there's local people who don't like him either. And that, there's some national people who do, but they're few and far in between. You know what I mean? It was just such a polarized. I keep using that word polarizing because that, to me, is what it is. Everyone has a strong take on Josh Allen. What's yours? Well, so I guess when I, I'll, I will give my a little... Uh, tidbit about, you know, back before I took this job in April last year, watching the, the draft is more of a fan than, you know, a guy that covers the team. Mm-hmm. And when they announced Josh Allen's name, I was like a lot of people and was like, what the heck? You know, everything that I'd read, everything that I'd seen on Twitter and Instagram and everything like that, everything that I'd seen was don't take Josh Allen. He's a project. He's not ready. There's, there's so much downside sure. as much as there is upside. But what you see, when you're up close and, you know, listen, there's only a few of us that are as up close to Josh Allen on a day-to-day basis, you know, as we are, you know, the guys on the beat and you see an unrelenting work ethic. And I think that's what really drew McDermott and Bean to him. And so you got that. And I think that's a key component because there's so many guys that I feel like you, you're not sure if they're really willing to put in the work, right? But then you take the intangibles. Yeah. There are, there's some accurate, accuracy issues sure there's also some really strong signs of of good accuracy I mean, you go back to that throw how many how many nfl quarterbacks can make that throw to robert foster in the pocket stepping up managing the pocket and putting a, a pass on target where only a receiver can catch it oh meanwhile by the way you're gonna get blown up by three yeah. jacksonville uh defensive linemen i think what we've seen over the course of this season is enough from josh allen to show that there is a potential 
for a very bright future. When Russell Wilson came along, I don't think anybody thought a running quarterback could be successful. Now, listen, Russell Wilson's completion percentage is a much different story than Josh Allen's. I'm not trying to compare them necessarily, but don't tell me that a guy that does succeed in the run game can't go out and win a Super Bowl because Russell Wilson did it. And as this season, as this his career progresses, I think with Josh Allen, you're going to see him start to see NFL defenses more, working with NFL talent more. And as that continues, the comfort level is only going to grow. How surprised were you to see firsthand his athleticism? Because listen, we all knew that he could throw the ball a mile. We all knew that he could miss a receiver by a mile. Those are not surprises. But to me, I I did in a million years. I mean, I saw some highlights and I read some stuff. I did not know that he could make plays with his legs like he has. I mean, that to me is just unbelievable what he's done with his legs this season. For sure. And I think that, you know, when he was coming in, I saw a lot of the comparisons to Ben Roethlisberger. And then I got up and close and personal, watched him in practice where they're, it's not, you know, full 100% where you're seeing what you're going to see in a game. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of situations like, you know, when guys were blitzing, he was basically, you know, they blow the play dead. So you're not seeing him get out and, and run. Um, so I thought it was going to be more like a Ben Roethlisberger. We talked about it a little bit before yeah. where you're going to, you know, extend plays, maybe like, you know, get side to side a little bit, but his, his, his ability to go from gear one to gear six is unreal. I mean, it really is Michael Vick esque. Uh, I don't know if the quickness is there. I mean, Michael Vick was a freak, but he is explosive and he's quick and he has a, uh, you know, his, his football IQ when it comes to when to run, how to run, and how to maneuver within the, you know, the constructs of the play. I think, uh, you have to be very impressed. And eight touchdowns rushing. I mean, it, I think that's a serious, serious accomplishment sure. for a guy that you knew nothing when it was going to be like this going into the season. Do you feel, and I know this is a corny way to say it, but to some extent, it feels like he's won the hearts of Buffalo Bills fans. I'm not sure there's some critics out there who still wish they had Josh Rosen or did something else, but I feel like he's become much more popular now than he certainly was. You talked about it, draft day, and there was a lot of people, including myself, who wasn't a big fan of the pick. And even in training camp, you know, it's like, eh, okay, well, we'll give him a shot. But I feel like now it's like, well, that's the quarterback. You know, he's the guy. He's the guy who's going to make this team good again. I feel like he's kind of won the hearts of Bills fans. Again, I know it's a corny line, but that's the way I feel right now with him. The key that now be, so is two guys that are from here. You know, we really understand, you know, the make, the makeup of this city and this community, right? Sure. Yeah. And uh, the key to the Buffalo sports fan is embracing the city. It always has been. Remember when Terrell Owens came here and he got to town. It was only for a year and it was only for a very short amount of time, but you know, um, they gave him the key to the city. He's all about Buffalo. Even still to this day, he still shows up to New Era Field from yeah. time to time. Yep. Still involved to a, to a, with Bill's Mafia. And if you show love for Buffalo, this city will embrace you because it, you know, for better, for worse, what makes us so passionate is the collective love for this city and this, what this city is all about. Josh Allen, we're sitting here watching the Sabres are up 3-2, six minutes to go in the third period. Josh Allen is at this Sabres yeah. game. This is the offseason. They've been let out since Monday. He could be back in California. He could be on a on a beach in Cabo somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I bet you there are a lot of rookie NFL players that are on their vacation somewhere. Josh Allen is at uh, 
Key Bank Center right yeah. now. He's a Buffalo guy. And I know Brandon Bean says it all the time. And to be honest with you, that kind of bothers me a little bit. Well, I think it works out that they got Josh Allen in a sense because this city has a chip on its shoulder about the national narrative about the city. Big when any time Buffalo is brought up on a national talk show host or a, na- a national talk, ho- talk show, it's usually about the four Super Bowl losses, right? Yeah. I mean, we wear that as a badge of honor, but at the same time, it's almost like our, you know, our dirty little secret. I mean, our, you know, the, the stain on our shirt, you know what I mean? You know, we wear it with pride when we talk amongst each other, but I think for the most part, people, there's a lot of, you know, heartbreak that goes along with that. So there's a chip on the shoulder of Buffalo. Well, there's also, I think, a chip on the shoulder of Josh Allen. He's the guy that said, okay, you got the arm strength, you can run a little bit, but there's too many question marks, you're not going to make it. So now he's in the he's in the NFL, and he's on a team with a chip on his shoulder. He's got a chip on his shoulder. I feel like it's the perfect marriage. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a really good point. A couple more questions, and we'll wrap this up. There's going to be plenty of turnover coming. We all know that, including the coaching staff, which is already happening. Danny Crossman, Juan Castillo, Terry Rabuski, all fired already. I don't know that the defense is going to do a lot. But offensively, they're going to do a lot. You look at this roster right now that ended 2018. Going into 2019, how many new starters do you think might be on this offense? Whew, that's a good question. Um, I think there should be. New, I think there's the potential, and I think that they should strongly consider, you know, at least bringing in the players to compete for three offensive line spots. I think you, you figure Wyatt Teller on either side at guard, you invested a fifth round pick and all this time developing him, and he, and he's shown real signs. I think you lock him in somewhere. Um, if he gets beat out, he gets beat out, but it, you, you probably pencil him in. Dion on one side or the other. I think he's done enough. And then I think you could, you could potentially have three new offensive line starters. And I think that you're, you know, if you can go out and get a golden Tate in, in free agency, I saw, I heard it on one of the national podcasts. That's a good, this that's week. a good name to say. Yeah. The Bills need a do a do everything type of player. Maybe not the the prototypical number one. Of course, they would take a DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, they would take a you know a guy, an Antonio Brown. They would take a number one. But they need a guy that can stretch the field, can get separation, could work in the slot because they're going to be playing in Brian Dable's you know trickeration offense where you, he likes to move guys around into different positions. They need a new tight end. I like yeah. Jason Kroom, but I don't know if you've seen enough consistency there out of him to that you're going to want to pencil him in as TE1 on your depth chart next year. I think you got to move on from Charles Clay, and I think that you got to bring in a guy, whether it be in the draft. I know Jared Cook is going to be the top free agent target. That's that's an interesting name. The free agency class at tight end is not much deeper than that. So no, you probably not. have to go the route of um, – you know, the draft, but there are a couple options. You know, Noah Fan is in there that I, I'll, I'm reading a lot about him, a couple playmakers in this draft at tight end. But, you know, I think by, by the time this is all said and done, I, I would even maybe think about bringing in a, you know, if you were to say bring in a Tevin Coleman, you know, from Atlanta, the running back, you know, I'm not so sure he's not your day one starter at running back, even with LaShawn McCoy on this roster. I know that that's kind of mind boggling to think about, especially with, you know, the ego involved when it comes to LaShawn McCoy. Listen, for anything that I'd say about him not being, uh, you know, uh, there to answer questions or, you know, the media stuff, listen, the guy has a right to have an ego. I mean, the, what he's accomplished in this league and at that, you know, at the level that he's done it at for this long, you know, I don't blame him for thinking he's still the, the LaShawn McCoy of all he may be. But, you know, if you can go out there and bring in some talent at the running back position, I think I think you could be looking at five new starters on this offense come 2019. 
Last question, then I'm going to let you go. This has got nothing to do with the Buffalo Bills. I love putting people on the record because I can replay this. Maybe we'll get together and talk next training camp. I want to know, playoffs are starting this weekend. Give me a Super Bowl prediction. Wow. Ah, uh, this is uh, definitely this is important stuff, dude. I will tell you this: I, 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 I don't feel as abreast on the NFL as a whole as I did before the season because everything's about the Bills. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I talk to some of these guys and I'm like, man, you can go a whole Sunday and not watch any other games. But I will say, I do like uh, the Kansas City Chiefs to come out of the uh, the AFC. I think that that the offensive firepower of Patrick Mahomes and company is, is, is enough to get them to the big dance. Plus, I kind of want to see it. I want to see him on that big stage and see how it plays out. Oh, and the NFC. Ah, oh, it's a tough one. I, I know the Bears are the trendy pick. I'm going to go, I want to go wild. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to say the Eagles. We're going to go on the run with Nick Foles back at the helm. <laughs> Eagles, Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Kansas City wins. I'm going to go half with you, man. I got Kansas City in the AFC. I want to see them play the Rams. I think I think Jared Goff is kind of fake news. When the yeah. goings get when the going has gotten tough for him, and that he's got so many. You talk about a, a vast, you know, different scenario than the Bills. You take the Rams, all that talent that he has around yeah. him in, in, in St. Louis, and McVeigh, a guy that really can you know Pinocchio the shit out of everything, for lack of a better term. And there's been some games late in the season. It yeah. doesn't look too good out there. Plus, you got Todd Gurley, and hey, he gets back healthy in the playoffs. That that's a different offense, and he becomes a different quarterback. But you know, I'm gonna go with the Eagles. I I, I like I like the mojo they got working this last month. I love this as a journalist. I love this Nick Foles storyline. <laughs> if he somehow gets back to the Super Bowl, I mean, I'm all in on that. I'm you just in. made you just pressured me into making sure that this gets out in the morning. <laughs> if this don't get out the Monday, you can be wrong before the I know. Hearing. I know. There you go. There you go. You got to make me look like an idiot on Sunday, you know? I'll, I'll be calling you out late Sunday night. I promise you that. All right, everyone. Follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Perino. Of course, check out his work at NewYorkUpstate.com. My man, this was fun, dude. We got this was fun. And let me wings. give let me give a little ringing endorsement. I I've been this is my second time on the More Analytics podcast, and I will say I am now a regular guest, but I'm also an even more regular listener. You do a great job. I think it's a great service that you're doing as a guy that grew up in the community and followed a lot of these sports personalities, uh, Jerry Sullivan, uh, Tim Graham, all of these like legends of you know, and, and even. All the way down to the to the people just starting the game. These interviews and these discussions and this, you know, bringing the whole community together. You do a great service, my friend, and I appreciate it. Thanks, man. You know what? I don't even need a pitch to close my show. I'm going to leave it with that. I will be back in Florida. I leave Buffalo, unfortunately, Saturday morning. I'll be back in my normal studio. It'll be much quieter. No, I'm going to get you back on again, Matt. You are, you're going to be one of my biggest recurring guests, man. I appreciate you. It's fun time. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.